0: neurons. So there's no way you could be conscious about it. Mm.
1: I guess most people are familiar with the, the general anatomy of a neuron where you have a, this spindly looking thing where um, there's a cell body and there's a long process, the axon leading away, uh, which carries the action potential if, if that neuron fires to the synapse and, and communicates neurotransmitters to other neurons. But on the other side of in the, in the In the standard case, on the on the other side of the cell body, there's this really often really profuse arborization of dendrites, which is kind of the mad tangle of processes which receive information from other neurons to which this this neuron is connected, and it's the integration of information on that side, but you know before that neuron fires that change the probability of its firing that um, that's the place you are locating this, the full set of predictive changes or the full set of changes that constitute prediction in the case of a system of neurons.
0: Yeah, well, it was from, it's interesting. For many years, people looked at those the connections the, on the dendrites, on that bushy part called synapses. And, and when they activated a synapse, most of the synapses were so far from the cell body that they didn't really have much of an effect. They didn't seem like they could make anything happen. And so, but there are thousands and thousands of them out there, but they don't seem powerful enough to make anything occur. And what was discovered basically over the last 20 years that there are there's a second type of spike. So you mentioned the one that goes down the axon, that's the action potential, but there are spikes that travel along the dendrites. And so yep. basically what what happens is, the individual sections of the dendrite, like little branches of this tree, each one of them can recognize patterns on their own. They, they can recognize hundreds of separate patterns on these different branches. And they can cause this spike to travel along the dendrite. And that lowers uh, the, or changes the voltage of the cell body a little bit. And that is the, what we call the predictive state. The cell is like primed. It says, oh, I, I'm, if I fire, I'm ready to fire. And it's not actually a probability change, it's the timing. And so a cell that's in this predictive state that says, I think I should be firing now, uh, or very shortly, if it does generate the regular spike, the action potential, it does it a little bit sooner than it would have otherwise. And mm-hmm. it's the timing that is the key to making the whole circuit work. We're getting pretty down in the weeds here about yeah, neuroscience. But yeah, I, hope, no. I don't know if you're, all your readers or your listeners will appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's useful though more weeds here. But, I mean, one of the novel things about your argument is that um, it was inspired by some much earlier theorizing. You, you mark your debt to uh, Vernon Mountcastle, but the idea is that there's a a common algorithm operating more or less everywhere at the level of the cortex. That is, it's more or less, the, you know, the cortex is doing essentially the same thing, whether it's Producing uh, language or vision or you know any any other sensory channel or motor behavior. So talk about the the general principle that uh, you spend a lot of time on in the book of just the organization of the of the neocortex into cortical columns and the implications this has for um, just how we view what the brain is doing at, uh, in, in terms of. Sensory and and motor learning and you know all of its its consequences.
0: This is uh, Vernon Mountcastle made this proposal back in the seventies, and it's it's just a dramatic idea and it's an incredible idea and so incredible that some people just refuse to believe it, but other people really think it's a a, a tremendous discovery. But what he noticed was if you look at the neocortex, if you could take one out of your head or out of a human's head, it's like a sheet. It's about two and a half millimeters thick. It is about the size of a large dinner napkin or 1,500 square centimeters. Um, and if you could fold it, lay it flat. And the different parts of it, like, that the, the do different things, there's parts that do vision, there's parts that do language, and parts that do hearing and so on. But when you, if you cut into it, and you look at the, the structure in any one of these areas, it's very complicated. It, there are dozens of different cell types there, but they're very prototypically connected and they're, they're arranged in certain patterns and layers and different types of things. So it's a, very, it's a very complex structure, but it's almost the same everywhere. It's not the same everywhere, but almost the same everywhere. And so this is not just true in a human neocortex, but if you look at a rat's neocortex or a dog's neocortex or a cat or a monkey, this same basic structure is there. And what Verna Malkus said is that all the parts of the neocortex are actually We think of them as doing different things, but they're actually all doing some fundamental algorithm, which is the same. So, hearing and touch and vision are really the same thing. He says if you took part of the cortex and you hook it up to your eyes, you'll get vision. If you hook it up to your ears, you'll get hearing. If you hook it up to other parts of the neocortex, you'll get language. And so, he, he spent many years giving the evidence for this. He proposed further that this algorithm was contained in what's called a column. And so, if you would take a a small area of this neocortex. Remember, it's like it's like two mil, two and a half millimeters thick. We I mean, take a.